You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, everybody, welcome. We're at uh, our final message in our series called uh, Finish Line. And we are coming to the finish line of our finish line. So this is actually our finish line uh, ending of our series here. And so we're in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. And in this series, we've been talking about the importance of things we do before we get to the finish line. And uh, Paul wrote, he said, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. I've already been poured out like a drink offering. Paul is talking here about him quickly approaching the end of his life. He is at a point where he's in a prison in Rome, he's under perhaps Nero the emperor, and he's facing uh, execution. So his life is coming to an end. And he says in this, uh, in his last words, in his last letter that he wrote, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. Now, when we have this idea of being poured out like a drink offering, it's a, sometimes it's offered at a, a sacrifice where they'd pour out wine or water to represent that a life was being poured out. So Paul has been pouring out his life for all these years, serving the Lord, serving the church, and faithfully uh, walking with the will of the Lord and all of that. And now he's coming to the end of his life. And I just want to talk a little bit today as we finish this series about the finish line. What do you need to do and what do I need to do before we get to the finish line? What do you and what do I need to do before we get to the finish line? So that's an important thing. We're having a little trouble with the lights here. They keep going off and on. So anyhow, is that we good back there? So anyhow, hey, by the way, just uh, let's give our media a big hand. They do so much stuff for us. Thank you, guys. So anyhow, um, what do you want to do or what do you need to do before you get to the finish line, before you get to the end of your life? Very important for us to remember this. Life is brief. And here's a, here's a, here's a thing that I believe dearly. Limited time equals increased value of time. Limited time equals increased value of time. Now, what does that mean? Uh, the law of supply and demand in economics, when you study the law of supply and demand in economics, it basically says when you have a lot of something, then the value goes down. When you have a little bit of something, the value goes up. So when you think about your life and my life in the comparison of eternity, we have a little bit of time on this planet. If you have a little bit of something, the value goes up. So we have a little bit of time, so that means that every single day that we have is incredibly important and really, really special. So if we had, you know, uh, just endless days, then each day wouldn't matter that much. But because we have a limited amount of days, then every day increases in value. Limited time equals increased value in time. I don't know if you remember when you were in school, taking the uh, standardized test. Remember those tests you used to take? You have to fill in the little circles with the number two pencil. 
And it was, those tests were always uh, timed. And there was like a, you know, an A, a B, a C, and a D uh, choice there. And D often said, none of the above or all of the above. So I remember taking those tests, and they were always timed. And do you remember what they said at the end of the test? Pencils down. Put your pencils down. That meant that time was up. You did as much as you could in the time frame that you had, but there came a time when you heard those words, pencils down. So when you think about, you know, Paul's life, he's at a point where God's about to say, pencil down. Time is, time is done. And so when you think about uh, time is limited, think about scriptures like Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You and I cannot be smart or wise until we start counting our days. If you don't count your days, you're not going to be wise. If you don't realize that your days have an expiration date, then you're not going to live smart. But if you know and you have this sense that life is brief and that you have a little bit of time and every day is incredibly valuable, then you'll be smarter in how you live. Now, as I've gotten older, um, you know, I think this happens as you get older. I think you have more a, a greater awareness of the value of your days, how important days are. And I think when you're young, you just feel like you're going to live forever. You know, you're going to just live forever. And so, therefore, you don't, you don't really see that every day is incredibly important. So I think grandparents get this. How many grandparents out there? You're a grandparent, and uh, maybe even any great-grandparents out there? Some great-grandparents? Wow, that's amazing. Great-grandparents, grandparents. Here's the thing about, you know, being a, a parent. When you're a parent, you don't really grasp how fast life goes. You just think your kids are always going to be a certain age, and they just kind of are always there, and you see them, and endless soccer practices, and endless music lessons, and endless, you like a taxi service. You're just running these kids, doing everything you need to do, and your life is just going on this fast, fast pace, and you just don't get it that they're, they're getting older and you don't see it. But when you become a grandparent, you get it. You understand it. You understand that these kids are really growing up really fast. So therefore, you know, you take the moments in better. Now, my uh, grandson, Nixon, he started playing soccer at the River Soccer Club. And uh, Nixon, I went out there to watch him the first week. He signed up. He's got eight weeks of soccer. And uh, so he's on like his fourth week halfway through. And Karen and I have gone every, every week on Saturday at 11.15 to watch Nixon play, uh, to play soccer. And Joel said to me the other week, he said, you know, Dad, you don't have to come every week. Now, I think he was saying that because I've been yelling a lot for Nixon, and I may be embarrassing him a little bit, you know. I'm like, I'm just all about it. When, he, when Nixon's out there running around, drilling that ball around, it's just like really, man, it's lighting me up. And the reason that we're going every week is because I know I'm going to close my eyes, and he's going to be at the DMV getting his license. And then I'm going to close my eyes again, and he's going to be graduating from high school, and I'm going to close my eyes again, and then he's going to be graduating from college, and then he's going to get married and all that. His life, I understand that, that kids' lives are like a shooting star. You see it, and they happen so quickly. 
So when you think about if you just have a little bit of time here on the planet, what really matters at the end of the day, what really matters are people. Your kids, your grandkids, your wife, your friends, making sure that you really embrace that, those moments. Because at the end of the day, life is not about achievement. Life is not about degrees. Life is not about uh, uh, things you accumulate. Life is about people. Because at the end of the day, that's what really, really matters. Back in the gold rush in 1848, you know, they discovered a few nuggets of gold in the Sacramento Valley. And, you know, there was about less than a thousand people in that area in 1848. But when they discovered gold, uh, by the next year, one year later, there was 100,000 people in the Sacramento Valley because everybody was looking for gold, trying to find gold. And what, is the real, what are the real gold nuggets of life? The real gold nuggets of life are your relationship with your kids, with your grandkids, with your wife. And if time is short, I got to make sure that I embrace what is most important and what is most important is my relationship with the important people in my life. I remember uh, when I, Karen and I first came here uh, back in 1981, uh, we had, uh, Tim was just a baby and then we got Joel, you know, a year later or whatever. And then we were here about four or five years and one day I decided to, to go take the boys fishing. So I took them uh, fishing. I think Tim was five and Joel was, you know, three and a half. Maybe he was a little, maybe Tim was six and uh, Joel was four. So we went up to the Millsburg Pond. I bought the blood worms, had the fishing rods, and it was a beautiful spring day. And so I'm out there with the boys fishing. We packed our lunches and the local newspaper took a picture of, uh, of me fishing with the boys. And you can see there's Joel eating a sandwich and there's Tim sitting there beside me and there's me. I got a hole in my shoe. I'm a poor preacher, so I got a hole in my shoe there. <laughs> and uh, under the caption, I didn't appreciate the caption under the picture, but under the caption it said, an easy life. I was the new minister in town, an easy life, you know? <laughs> so that didn't impress me. But what really, really, uh, this made the front page of the local paper. And you know, when I, when I look at that picture, I have that picture on my desk, and I can't tell you how many times I've thought on any given day, I wish I could go back to that moment. Because I don't remember what I did that week. I don't remember what I preached on that week. I don't remember, you know, how big the church was that week, how many people came to church on Sunday. I don't know how good my sermon was. I don't know how big the offering was. But I can tell you the most important thing I did that week was to spend time with two little boys that called me their dad. Because at the end of the day, you know, in those early days, when I was at that stage of my life, I'll tell you where my head was, and this is where a lot of young fathers are, and where they are in their head is, is, is trying to prove themselves, trying to make it in life, trying to get your career going, trying to make enough money, trying to get to a place in life where you feel good about yourself. And because of that, because of that being your mindset, that becoming your priority, you can have a tendency to miss the special moments of your life. And those are the special moments. Say this with me. The real gold in life are the people that are important to me. So Karen and I, we bought this house after we had been 
uh, here for about five years. We lived in a mobile home next to the church, and then we bought this little rancher down the road about five, year, five miles from here, and uh, we lived in that house for 15 years. And I remember, you know, when we first moved in the house, Tim was uh, five and Joel was four or something. And I remember when we moved in, the day we moved in, the boys ran down the hallway to the bedrooms because they were looking for toys in the bedrooms because the people that lived there before us had kids and they had toys in the room when we viewed the house and when we were thinking about buying it. So the kids were thinking that the toys would still be there. They didn't realize they were going to take it with them. So, uh, so we get moved in. I hang the tire in the backyard under the tree that they'd get on. I would swing them on the tire. And in that house for 15 years, in that house for 15 years, we, we wrestled on the floor. We played one of my favorite games, Steamroller, where I'd roll over the kids in the, in the living room. And we played baseball in the backyard. We played football in the front yard. One Sunday afternoon after church, I was, had Tim was up to bat. Joel was in the outfield, our backyard. I threw Tim a pitch, and he hit the ball, and it went right through the window of the church van. So in that house, as the boys got older, we sat uh, in that, at that table talking about life, talking about movies, talking about the important stuff they were going through as adolescents. And then after 15 years... Karen and I sold that house, and we bought our midlife crisis house. You know how that is. You know, you're in a house, and you got your kids almost raised, and then, you, you know, you got to get the big house. So we got this house, and I remember moving out of the house we'd been in for 15 years, and as, I, as we moved out of that house, I remember, you know, I took all week off to, to, to move, and we had trucks, and we're moving everything out of the house. It took almost all week, and then we finally got the house completely emptied. How many ever stayed at a place more than 10 years? You know what happens after you accumulate all this stuff. So we got the house pretty much, you know, empty of everything. And then we pulled down the attic door and we emptied the attic and it filled the house back up. So we loaded everything up and we're on the last load, the last load. And Tim and I are left in the house. He's 20 years old now. And Karen and Joe had already left to go to the new house to set some things up and and so we're back in the pickup out of the driveway from, uh, this is the last load, we got everything, and we're pulling out of the driveway, and I see the hose, the hose that's still attached to the, to the front of the house, and I said to Tim, I said, Tim, can you go get that hose? So I put the pickup in park, and he ran out, and he, he got in front of the house, and he bends down, and he's unscrewing the hose. And as he's unscrewing the hose, I had an epiphany. I remember the first day that we moved in that house and him running down the hallway looking for those toys. And here he is, full-grown man, leaning down, big hairy back, unscrewing the hose. And I realized that 15 years, 15 years went just like that. 15 years. Here's what I know about life. I know that life is brief. You know, the Bible says that it's like a mist. The book of James says life is like a mist. It quickly evaporates. So if life is short, that means that every day is incredibly valuable. And the real gold in every single day are the relationships, the people that God 
puts in your life, those kiddos and those grandkids. We talked about this wonderful officer this week that lost his life. He has a 12-year-old son named Matt. And I'm here to tell you that at the end of the day, we got we to take it in. We got to see what really matters because what really matters are the important people in our life. Now, you think about this. Think about, you know, uh, I don't know how long you've been married. Karen and I have been married a long time. I'm not even going to, I can't even remember right now. It's like 40, I'm 44 years old, 44, 44 uh, years we've been married. How many have been married at least 40 years? Anybody in this crowd been married at least 40 years? And to the same person, the 40 years, right? Right. So, I, I listen, it's just, it's just uh, there's a lot of, lot of time we've been together. We got married, I was 20, or no, I was 19, Karen was 20. So, uh, we were real young, we got married, I was stupid, uh, really stupid. And uh, so, I got a little smarter over the years. But here's what, here's what I know about being married. What happens in marriage is that you, things are going so fast, you got so much to do, cleaning the house, taking care of the yard, going to work, doing all the stuff you, you have to do. So you're just running around. Here's what happens in marriage. We don't really see each other. We don't really see each other. You just kind of see each other out of the per- peripheral vision of your eyes, and you don't really take time to really see the person that you're married to. A couple times a week, you know, I just... You know, Karen's in the kitchen cooking, and I just kind of take her and I spin her around, you know, and I hug her, and I look in her eyes. When's the last time you looked into your spouse's eyes? You know what color her eyes are? Do you know what color her eyes are? Do you know? Have you looked in her eyes? There's a scripture in uh, Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 7, verse 4, really cool verse. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 4. Song of Solomon, by the way, is an is a Old Testament book about sex. It's all about sex. You know, people try to spiritualize and say it's about Jesus and the church. It's not about Jesus and the church. It's about sex. That's what the book's about. Eight different erotic poems. And when I, the boys were growing up, I'd catch them under the, you know, the covers with a flashlight reading Song of Solomon. Are you reading Song of Solomon again? Don't make, let me catch you reading Song of Solomon again. Just your mom and I get to read that book. You don't read that book. <laughs> Here's what it says, Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 4. Your neck is like an ivory tower. You have a beautiful white neck. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath Ribbon. It's a beautiful, this little town he's talking about is a, is a verdant, beautiful, fruitful uh, town just east of the Dead Sea. And there's two beautiful pools there that are calm and peaceful. And evidently, Solomon, who wrote this, the woman that he loved, the Shunammite maid in this story, he had looked in her eyes and he saw the serenity and peace in her eyes. And because he took time to look in her eyes, he talked about her her eyes were refreshing to him. So make sure that when you're going through life and time is short, that you take time to look at each other. Look each other in the eye. Slow down. Put something down. You know, turn the vacuum cleaner off. You know, we got one that you just push a button out, it does it all for us, but that's not a big deal to us anymore. But just take whatever, just slow down and just look at each other. 
don't know if you remember seeing the movie Runaway Bride that was uh, filmed in, was it 1999 in Berlin, Maryland? And there's a scene in the movie, Richard Greer. How many, how many know who Richard Greer is? A lot of people say I look like Richard Greer. I don't know. They say that all the time. Uh, I can see him talking to restaurants. Is that Richard Greer? No, that, not really. But, but Richard Greer, he plays uh, Ike Graham in the movie. And his, his, uh, his former wife uh, was uh, Rita Wilson. And there's a scene in the movie where he's sitting on a piano bench beside Rita Wilson, which is his former wife. And they're talking about what went wrong in their marriage. And Ike Graham, played by, you know, uh, Richard Greer, he says to Rita, he said, what went wrong in our marriage? And then he says, did I just not see you? Did I just not see you? And she says, Ellie Graham, played by Rita Wilson, said, no, you didn't. And then he put his arms around her, his arm around her, and he said, I'm sorry. And then she said, it only took you 12 years to say it. What I want you to think about this week in your marriage, sometimes in your marriage, one of the things that's the most important thing is that you just slow down and you just look into each other's eyes and take in, let your, there's intimacy in looking into each other's eyes. And the thing in life is we just go so fast that we don't even take time to look at each other. So make sure you take time to do that. So if life is short, the real goal in life is people, your children, your spouse. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. My job is not to criticize my wife. My job is not to critique my wife. My job is not to straighten out my wife. My job is to love my wife and to look at her and to take all in. So if life is short, say this with me, if life is short, then what really matters are people. So life is going by, it's speeding up, it's getting faster and faster and faster, and we're almost at the finish line. And are we taking time to really, really see what really matters? Now, if life is short, a couple other things real quickly. If life is short, we don't have time to be filled with negative attitudes toward difficult people. If life is short, we don't have time to have a negative attitude toward difficult people. Why would you or I use up a precious day, which is a gift from God? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it and be glad. Why would we use up one single day when they're so limited being angry at somebody that's not treated us well? Why would we do that? But yet we do it all the time. We're filled with anger and angst and we're bitterness, bitterness toward people. And we're using up the days we have with negative energy toward difficult people. And everybody has difficult people in their life. How many have some people that are just difficult in your life? And you just want the Lord to take them to heaven or somewhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> when uh, one Christmas, I think it was maybe last Christmas, the year, year before, my dad, he comes to our house for Christmas when we have all of our family and my dad, he just gives out money on Christmas, which we're all about it. We're all there for that. And he's just giving out money. And he gives us, Karen and I, some bunch of money. And he gives the grandkids money. And uh, he gave uh, Tim a $100 bill. And Tim put that $100 bill in his pocket. And he was, you know, thanked his granddad. And, 
And uh, Tim's on his way home. He stops at the Dagsboro Royal Farm, and he goes in there to get something, and he reaches in his pocket, and he's paying for something. He's getting his keys or whatever. And that he doesn't know it, but as he got in the car and drove off, that he dropped that $100 bill on the floor of the Royal Farm store, and he realized halfway home to Bethany what had happened. He went back to Dagsboro, tried to find that, went into the store, and, of course, that money was long gone. You know how, how frustrating it is to lose a $100 bill? Isn't that frustrating? But you know what is worse? It's losing a day when you're angry or upset with somebody that's just not treated you well. Never waste a single day that God gave you filled with anger and angst towards somebody that's mistreated you. I had a lady uh, call me one time, and she, I told you the story before. She called me and she said uh, she was going to boycott her family Thanksgiving dinner and she's kind of fishing to see what I thought about it. And she told me about this person in her family she had an attitude toward and the family member hadn't treated her right and hadn't honored her correctly and all that. And so she was telling me her whole story and I listened to it as a good pastor and, and just listened to it. And she said at the end, well, what do you think? I said, well, I sure understand why you would be upset. You know, life is not fair. That's terrible what she said and what she did and all that. And, but I said, let me, let me just ask you to think about this. Your parents are getting older, and, uh, and I just said this. I said, you only have so many more thanksgivings with your mom and dad. Do you want to sacrifice a thanksgiving with them because you're angry at this other family member. And it got silent on the phone, and, and I could hear her thinking, you know? You could hear somebody thinking. And she said, well, thank you for your advice. And then she ended up going to that Thanksgiving. Say this to me, life is too short to be angry at people that are difficult. Well, let me give you a couple scriptures on that. There's some great scriptures on that that I think are important. Uh, Here's what it says in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. It's okay to feel angry towards somebody for a while. You got anger, but it doesn't become, it doesn't become your life. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Something I do every day. Uh, when I go to bed. Now, when I was a kid, uh, I, my mom and dad raised me to get down on my knees beside the bed and to say prayers before I went to bed. I don't know how many else was, where you were raised that way, but that's how my folks raised me, to get down on the knee, your knees and pray before you went to bed. So I did that as a kid, but as I got older, I quit doing that. I mean, I pray, and, but I didn't get on my knees. I'm just like, by the end of the day, I'm like, I just like want to get in bed. How many are like that? You just like want to get in bed, you know? We turn Seinfeld on, and I just want to veg out before I go to sleep. But uh, about six months ago, the Lord started convicting me and speaking to me about praying the Lord's Prayer before I get in bed. So every night for the last six months, um, I've been getting on my knees beside my bed, and I say the Lord's Prayer real slow. And I say, this phrase always gets me, give me this day my daily bread, which is really code for, Lord, give me what I need for what I'm facing right now. And so I pray that, and I just kind of pause on that, and I ask the Lord to help me. And then this phrase always is important, Lord, forgive my debts 
as I forgive my debtors. And every single day, at the end of the day, if there's been any difficult things said to me, if there's been anything difficult, any people that's been difficult in my life, at the end of the day, I forgive those people and I release them of their debt to me. And I'll tell you what, it's really revolutionized. And, and it says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Make sure that you deal with your anger promptly when people are mistreating you because life is too short. You're coming to the finish line. Don't, wait. Don't let a $100 bill fly out of your pocket. Don't waste a single day on being angry at somebody that has mistreated you. Another reason to do that is, is what Jesus said. Jesus said this. He said, he said uh, verse, uh, Matthew 6, verse 14 through 15. He said, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, that puts the fear of God in me. When I think about that, that if I have an angry attitude, a bitter attitude towards somebody else, and I don't forgive that person, release them, I'm not in charge of judging them. If I can release another person, then I open up God's grace to flow toward me with forgiveness as well. And I don't know about you. Maybe I'm talking to the wrong people, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to need Jesus to forgive me for something pretty soon. How many know? How many know you need Jesus to forgive you for something every week? Can you just say a big amen? And his, his grace is, his mercies are new every morning. Hallelujah. His mercies are new every single day. Can you say a big amen? One man came to John Wesley and said, I can never forgive that person. Wesley said, then I hope you never sin. When you are unforgiving, you are burning the very bridge you need to walk across. And then Rick Warren says, when you are not forgiving of others, you're setting yourselves up to not be forgiven yourself because God says you, you're going to need forgiveness in the future. Now, when I was a, a kid, we'd play baseball outside uh, you know, the, all the kids would come to our, our house and our yard, and we had a big baseball field. And do you remember as a kid, do you remember when you're playing outside in July or August and it gets really hot and you get really thirsty and you go to the hose and you turn the hose on and, and you stretch the hose out and you let the water run out of the hose because the water that's in the hose is kind of warm, so you've got to let all that water run out and you get it all out, and then the cold water right from the well comes out of that hose, and then you all get in a line, all the kids playing, and, and you're in a line, and they're drinking water out of the hose. How many know that's the best water you'll ever drink in your whole life coming right out of the hose? It's the best water you'll ever drink. So you're drinking the water out of the hose, and if you're standing out of the line, what you can do is you can kink that hose. <laughs> and the kid's like, what's going on? And then you let it go, and it goes in his face, you know? But when you or I choose not to forgive, we kink the hose of God's grace flowing to us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive give our debtors. 
How about if we say the Lord's Prayer right now? I'll say, if you haven't said it in a while, say, just say it after me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. So if life is short, Make sure you pay attention to the people that really matter. If life is short, don't take up any time being angry at difficult people. If life is short, make sure that you use the gifts that God has given you to serve the body of Christ. Make sure that you use what God has given you to help other people. One of the most important things we can do before we get to the finish line is to make sure that we are adequately engaged in serving other people with the gifts that God has given us. Every single person that's listening to me right now, that you have met Jesus and Jesus is in your heart and you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. Every single person that's listening to my voice right now, you have been given a ministry by God himself to serve his people. It says this in uh, 1 Peter. Here's a great verse in 1 Peter. 1 Peter says this, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully and ministering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do so as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And then it says in 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, verse 7, now to each one the, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And he goes on to list the gifts of the Spirit. So and it, if you read the, the uh, parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, it says that some were given five talents, some were given two, some were given one talent. The key to that story is, you know, we kind of feel for, sorry for the guy that, that received the one talent, but really what he received was a pretty, like a 75-pound uh, weight of gold. A talent was a measurement of weight, and it was, a, it was a weight of gold. So everybody in the story had something that God had given them to use for the body of Christ. I've got a good friend um, from Oak Ridge, you know, Brian Moss, the pastor there. Brian are our good friends. And uh, Brian says, every once in a while, somebody comes up to him and says, you know, I just feel like I'm going to take a break from serving and ministry right now. And Brian's pretty tough. He says, you know, I don't know if there's anywhere in the Bible where we get a chance to take a break from ministry. He said, you want to change your ministry, do something different, that's fine. But to just say, I'm going to take a break from serving in ministry, he said, that's just an unbiblical concept. One of the things that we want to do more and more here at Bayshore is to make sure we help people find their way to serve in the church because you can't really enjoy a church until you invest in serving in that church. What an important concept. So when Karen and I were in Florida going to Bible college, we had this uh, big seminar one time. I think it was in the spring, and we had this guy come through our church, and his name was Bill Hammond. And, um, and I had never heard a guy like him before, but they said he was a prophet, a prophet. Now, I'm not sure what you think about all that, but they said he was a prophet. And I always thought the church was a non-profit organization, but he was a prophet. 
And so I, I was a little skeptical, you know, in the back, 1,500 people, I was watching this guy, and he's praying over people, and he, he's got what the Bible would call a word of knowledge, where he would just kind of give a word of encouragement. And so Karen and I go up, you know, and he prays for us, and, and he says this. He said, you know, I see you, he's talking to me, and then he had a word for Karen. He said, I see you're standing in front of a table, and the table's filled with weapons, and you're all excited about all these weapons on the table. You're looking at, to the left and you're looking at the right. And you're all excited about these weapons on the table. But he said, the Lord's going to narrow your vision down to one weapon. And you're going to pick that weapon up. And you're going to use that weapon for the glory of God. And in my heart of hearts, I know what that is. And that did bear witness with me. And the truth is, is that every single one of us, we have a weapon that God has given us to pick up, to serve Him, to love and help other people. Say this with me, everybody, even me, has a ministry. So there was this illiterate preacher. He was, uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't read, but he had this uh, reader that would read for him. And the reader would read, and the reader would read, For God saw the world, He gave His only begotten Son, and the, this illiterate preacher would listen until something hit him, and then he'd take off preaching. And he'd just preach it as that reader would read. And one day, the reader was sick and didn't show up, and so this illiterate preacher got in the pulpit. He didn't know what to do, and he just flopped the Bible open, and he put his finger, and it was in the book of Daniel. And the first word his finger fell on was Nebuchadnezzar. And he thought, How, I don't know if I could say that. And he's trying to pronounce it. He's trying to sound out the word. And he said, it's, uh, uh, Nebuch had a razor. Nebuch had a razor. He said, that's the, my, my message today. Nebuch had a razor. And he said, I'm going to preach on Nebuch had a razor. And he said, number, number one point is, who was Nebuch? Who was Nebuch? And he got them all riled up. Who was Nebuch? And they all said, yeah, yeah, who was Nebuch? He's preaching along. He had no idea who Nebuch was. He had no idea. And so finally he left that point. He said, well, second point, where did he get that razor? Where did he get that razor? Can you say amen? And they said, amen. Where did he get that razor? And he's preaching around. He, did, he didn't know where he got that razor. And then finally he said, I don't know who Nebuch was, and I don't know where he got that razor, but what really matters is what you're doing with what you got when you got it. What you're doing with what you got when you got it. And everybody's got something. So before you leave this planet, if you read the parable of the talents, here's what the master said, well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Would you lift your hands with me right now? The Holy Spirit is pouring out upon this church a great liberty of people serving him with a spiritual gift. The finish line's coming. Some of you are administrators, some of you are greeters, some of you are singers, some of you are, are, are prayer warriors. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has something God's given you to do. And so, Lord, as we seek you today, everybody at Fenwick Island has got their hands raised, and everybody in this campus, right now, we pray for the Holy Spirit to just fill us. And, Lord, redeem the time, deliver people from anger, deliver people from distraction today, and help them to go into this week with new eyes to see the gifts of life. 
We thank you for blessing us in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.